podcast ain't played nobody, your college football marriage of numbers and words. I am introducing this properly today. This is Bill Connolly here with Stephen Godfrey. Godfrey spent most of December on location uh, going to beautiful locales like West Point and Tampa. I have tried to gain back the weight that I lost during the regular season, which I was pretty proud of and, and now is in the past tense. How are you doing, Godfrey? Okay, first off, when I introduce the show, is it not professional? And two... Well, it's more, it's professional, but it's 50 minutes into the podcast. You mean like the actual show intro or what yes. I do? I, I yes. try and come in, it's called coming in hot in the production lingo, Bill. I thought, it was a cold, I thought it was a cold open. It is a cold open, but you also, content-wise, you come in hot. You want to go straight to a topic. See, right now we're vamping. We haven't gone any, into any pure content. I just, also, hey, by the way, I want to say this real fast. If you're losing weight during the college football season, you can go to hell. Yeah, during the weekdays, and then I gained back half of it on Saturdays. But I still then then lost half. So you know, I was pretty I was pretty happy with that. Now I'm trying my, my damnedest. Neck in, I haven't seen my neck in six weeks. And anyway, now we're I'm going to Nashville in a week, and and we're gonna go to like four restaurants a day, and it's gonna be terrible. Anyway, Wait, hang on, in a week, week and a half, I guess. Week and a half, yeah. Okay, Saturday. Don't, don't scare me. Okay, yeah, week and a half. Sorry, sorry. Okay. All right. So anyway, um. Before we get rolling with our playoff coverage, and we are going to actually Bill, talk you didn't do the show intro. I did. I already did. I already said college football marriage numbers of words, and, and I'm, you know, I'm me and you're you. So I, I, it counts. It counts. It all counts. All right. Fine. Fine. I said it. Fine. Anyway, going. before we get into the you're relevant driving. portion of the conversation where we talk about playoff and whatnot, yeah. uh, I was going to mention that here later in the, in the show, we are talking about the Knowles. Uh, we are doing that because, um, for lack of a better term, we received gifts in the mail from yeah. a from a podcast ain't played nobody reader. Uh, I don't I don't know what he wants made public, so we're not going to say anything more than that. We just uh, they're very appreciated appreciated, and um, from what I've been able to discern, the guy who sent them to us is a Noel fan, and we're going to talk about the Knowles as a way of thanking him for that. Uh, also, we nothing. We can be bought. I think that's the that's the yeah. major lesson that can be that is learned here is we can be bought. Our programming time can be bought. Um, well, I want to point out real quick. This was not. This was like a legit gift because this guy has a cool job. He sent us some cool stuff from his cool job. This has absolutely nothing to do with our fundraiser, correct? Uh, which is now almost done. The democracy prep um, relief fund for the flood victims down there. We're going to fund their athletic program. My God, if you listen to the show, you've heard me do the spiel a gajillion times. We are less than a thousand bucks away. We're almost there. And um, speaking of buying our time and love and attention and everything else, yeah, you can buy a segment. Um, we are rushing off. We're kind of burning these off because we want to. We wanted to get this done before the end of the title game. It might. We might have to push it through January. Please don't make us do that. I mean, no one likes the telethon week or month on NPR. It sucks. <laughs> um, so we got about less than a thousand bucks to go. So we're one hundred and fifty. You can buy a segment on your team. Um, what are some of the teams we've already done this year? I know we've done, Georgia oh, State. off the top of my head, we've done Michigan, we've done South Florida, we've done um, Georgia State and Georgia Tech, Georgia State, Georgia Tech, Wisconsin. Um, so uh, literally anything from, I mean, anything from, you know, if you want us to talk about Ohio State or San Jose State, we will find a way to get that done. And 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 I think even select I I was I was tentative about this when we first started the drive, but I will go ahead and open it here in the in the waning moments and say we can do probably do your FCS team. I think we could. I think so. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll get vague. 
It'll get vague. So, like, yeah. we might not know all the de- details about Winthrop's Too Deep, but it would it would then it, we would learn some, and then it would blend into a conversation about you know the Big South and FCS and this and that and ambition and yada yada yada. So, so it basically, be- it would it would sound like when I have to go on the radio. Yeah. And talk about normal games when I don't have Bill with me, and then I just get I just go real general, real cliche, real fast. By the way, don't if you put me on your radio show, it's your own fault, and you don't ask me fun. If you ask me football questions on a radio show, it's gonna suck. But I'm, I'm you know, it happens. People so love before me. before we talk about the Knowles, because um, somebody gave us a very nice gift, we are going to talk about the playoff. Uh, Godfrey, I think um, I, I, I'm not completely sure. That the playoff is good for college football. What do you think? Um, Okay, so we have to do two things before we even get to the Knowles. We have to talk about the playoff, as in you have to help me do my homework, as really is the the, the ethos of this show, because I'll be covering the Fiesta Bowl. I'm just starting to figure out kind of what we're wanting to do and say. Um, So there's that. And then there's also this, I fell fell ass backwards, ass over pea kettle, into um, a debate about the VCS this morning. That's gross, because I retweeted something laughing, uh, because um, stodgy-ass Don, John U. Bacon apparently went on some NPR program and talked about how the college football playoff was, what was wrong with college football? <laughs> what was wrong with y'all, man? I, I, like, I don't understand how fast we got ignorant on this. Well, this is a weird, weird thing to develop nostalgia for. I mean, well, I mean, first of all, so, you know, I, I, I will say that coverage of college football has gotten more obnoxious in terms of focusing only on the playoff, which is silly to me. Uh, well, I mean, it's not completely silly because it's playoff. We wanted to play off for 40. We were debating a playoff for 40 years and finally got one. But at the same time, we went from two to four teams and we didn't yeah. go from two to 32. Yes. So it really, it, it, we added a game to the schedule. And, and so I don't necessarily, uh, you know, part of the reason I think people are starting to think that, you know, OU, OSU doesn't matter or whatever. Well, I guess this year is – well, no, it was this this year it was for the Big 12 title, but it was only the Big 12 title. It wasn't a spot in the playoff. That's that's basically the same thing that conference t- title races have always been. Very few conference title races um, or, or very few games within a title race, I guess, decide playoff spots. Just, uh, you know, a few more than, than – you know, two more – at most two more per year than, uh, you know, the BCS. But that's two more games per year that have playoff potential or national title potential – Otherwise, nothing has changed here. The regular season has not changed very much, and and it drives me crazy that that everything starting in week one is focused on the national title when either it should have been before as well, or it shouldn't be now. I don't know. I I, I really I have noticed the tone of coverage difference uh, over these last couple of years, but that's not the same thing as saying the playoff is everything that's wrong with college football. What what was his rationale there? Oh, um, I mean, just your garden variety uh, uh, sins of profiteering and devaluation <laughs> of the student. I mean, John U. Bacon's stuff was completely arbitrary, as if the BCS didn't foster and corrupt uh, in, in the exact same manner. I mean, the bottom line is that bowls themselves are the perpetrators of this here. And, and it's hard because I, I'm not an anti-bowl person. We've sort of skipped over this throughout the process because, like, the the bones of this program and the bones of what Bill and I do is a celebration of all college football. So, you know, I I did watch. I'm sh- what's the worst bowl game I've watched this week? Well, the best and worst was Maryland Boston College. Yeah, exactly. Okay, thank you. I enjoyed the hell out of that. Yeah. I enjoyed the hell out of that. I watched probably seventy five percent of that game. Um, and I think that it should be there. I think it's great. 
on the exact same front or maybe the opposite side, I got uh, morning after Christmas. I wake up and just kind of going about like I've been on the road for a lot this season, so I'm trying to I'm trying to stay at home and uh, I just moved into a new house. My wife and I are in a conversation. My phone starts blowing up with different college football reporters, and they're asking me, "Hey, are you in Phoenix or Atlanta? Uh, and why aren't you here yet?" <laughs> so I was like, "Why are why why is anybody there?" That's what I don't, I don't I don't get like all these I have all these colleagues and friends who are good people I wouldn't mind seeing them they're, they're great you know love you to death roll tide um, but well, I don't know what anybody is doing at these at these bowl sites there's a there's a weird weird thing going on with these playoff bowls and this is something we're going to have to address before there is any serious discussion of expansion past four teams and that's that they still want to beat bowl games so. They've made a big stink about, like, in the years in which, I don't know, let's just say the Fiesta and the, and the Peach this year, that they're the playoff semis. They don't want it to be another game. They want it to be a bowl game. So, like, Alabama and Washington are having, like, you know, go-kart races and eating contests and all that dumb stuff. And the media is also expected to come in for, like, seven days into these environments and just dick around. I don't know. Like, I, I got the schedule. I actually got an app on my phone for the Fiesta Bowl. Just so you guys know how this whole journalism game works. I have an app on my phone right now, and I'll open it up. There's nothing going on out there. By the way, I fly out on... I just decided I'd fly out on early on New Year's Eve. Or, sorry, early on the 30th. I didn't want to travel the day of the game in case something happened. I would get up, cover the game, and then fly back on the 1st. That seems sensible, right? I mean, what would it... Like, Bill, what would you do if you were out in the, at the in Phoenix right now? Right. I, I have absolutely no idea. I'd be in the hotel room writing like 13 other articles about 13 other things. Okay. So there there was an, a media op to watch the teams arrive on Monday. No. There was an offensive press conference for exactly 40 minutes for the Ohio State offense and then Clemson defense the next day. Maybe. Then you could go watch the teams practice for 15 minutes. No. That's it. Today is Wednesday, so... It is, as we record this, around 7-ish a.m. out there. Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing. The Ohio State defense has a 40-minute press conference. Um, and it's just a, it's the typical crappy media days group setting thing. It's not like I could get anything good or, you know, unique. And then the offense for Clemson. And then you get to watch them practice again. And then you get to go, if you want to, for, for 45 minutes, for an hour this afternoon, watch the Ohio State Community Outreach, free art Free arts for abused children at a local elementary school. I mean, that's great. And then Clemson's going to do something with Special Olympics. I'm not trying to downplay that kind of stuff, but I guess I am. There's just no reason for us to cover it. Um, yeah, but you get out there a week, you're, you're hostage. You basically are looking for things to write and do, and they'll have, they'll have little just droplets of, of things for you to write about each day. And it's, There's just and no it's, reason to do it, though. Like, Bill, you're, you're writing playoff previews right now that are more intricate. And I'm not trying to kiss ass or tell, tell everyone that our content is okay, better. Can. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. And I do, buddy. Um, but there's, I mean, I'm flipping through right now, and I'm on, like, the Columbus Dispatch page, and I'm looking at, I mean, I'm not trying to call out any media member, but they're, it, it's obvious they're struggling, too. And if you're a team, you don't want seven days of media <laughs> leading into, you know, for two of these teams, the last game that you're going to play, a massive game, you know. You don't want all that. I just don't, I don't understand it. And I know, like, everyone wants to throw this tradition word out, and then at the same time, the same people want to dismiss the fact that, like, I can't believe 5-7 and seven North Texas played Army yesterday. Well, right. it was a fun game. Yeah. I just yeah, don't care. Like, there were, like, 39,000 at that game. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. One, Army is a completely national brand for obvious reasons, and then two, UNT is 35 miles away from the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, no, so, 30, I mean, that's like a lot of major uh, P5 versus P5 bowls won't draw 39,000. I mean, it was in the Cotton Bowl, which can uh, hold a lot more than 39,000, but that was still a really nice crowd for that game, and, and the people in that stadium, I assume most of them cared. Um, so cool. Like that was a great experience, but yeah, let's, uh, let's complain about, uh, North Dakota's, uh, or North, North Texas is, uh, they were five and seven. They shouldn't have even been in a bowl. Like, no, probably not, but who cares? We got, we got space for 24 more bowls on the schedule. So is there something maybe that I, I, and I'm not trying to play to our, to our identity here, but I look at like a really bored Mississippi state team that didn't know they were playing football for three quarters against Miami of Ohio. And I think that like the P five five and sevens, when especially when you're in a situation where you're in the Saint, I almost said Saint Augustine, Saint Petersburg Bowl or whatever. Like I get maybe that is a little excess. Give that to a more well, interested team. But if you're five and seven, North Texas, you're trying to rebuild a program. What did they win? One game last year? Two games? Uh, one. I think they were yeah. awful. Is my point? Yeah, terrible. Like Latrell's doing a good job there. They're trying to build. I mean that's interesting to me. That's dynamic. I know it was a, it was a rematch from earlier in the season. It was still a good football game. Like you still had two interesting football teams to watch. Yeah, and, and motivation is such a weird thing in bowls. I mean, you saw last year and part of this year. Like some of those five and seventeen, they come out fired up because um, they've been told they stink for the last month. They got something to prove or whatever, um, and they they put on a they, they put on a really nice performance. Other times. Yeah, I mean, Mississippi State, no matter what their record was, I mean, it's, it's, it's SEC versus MAC. They were going to struggle to get up for that game. And, I mean, I think that wasn't part, – part of their other problem is that Miami's uh, defense is legitimately strong and screwed them up a little bit. Um, but regardless, yeah, that was a iffy game that got kind of fun at the end. NC State-Vanderbilt, I think both teams cared. And NC State – good NC State showed up for about three and a half quarters – um, and so they ended up kind of being able to make a statement there. But, I mean, it, yeah, it's what you make of it. Baylor, Baylor Boise State last night was the strangest damn result so far this year in that Boise State had a ton of reason to be motivated. Baylor had absolutely no reason to be motivated, uh, and it was 31-6 to Baylor early in the fourth quarter. I would say the strangest really outcome so far, huh? Yeah, no, I mean, that was – and I actually – I wrote about that this morning too. Um, this is a great uh, playoff conversation that we're having, by the way. Um, we'll get there. Yeah, I, I wrote this morning um, for one of my one of the two pieces I had go up this morning to SB Nation. I, I, I you know knocked them out the last couple of days. Um, so one of the ways to look at volatility, like look at the spread and the actual results. So during the season, last six weeks of the regular season, there are about eighteen percent of all games with spreads that finished within about three three and a half points of the spread. So right, just toss up, you know, a Vegas toss up basically. Mm-hmm. It was about eighteen percent of those. About twenty five percent, and this goes to the amazing volatility of college football in general. One out of every four games was decided twenty one points or more from the spread. Um, so which is hilarious to me. But okay, so eighteen and twenty five percent so far through nineteen bowls, it's six and six. So thirty two percent and thirty two percent. Thirty two percent have been right there at the spread. And 32% have been completely unexpected, weird results. Um, and, I mean, that's out of 19. So we'll see if that trend holds. But I think it kind of, I kind of think it will, um, especially the, the volatility side of things. It's just uh, you never know about motivation and rust and all these other things, distractions. Uh, and it makes for really random viewing. Sometimes you get exactly what you expect. And then other times it's like, oh, hey, it's September Baylor showed up. And there's really no reason for them to have. 
Um, yeah, so again, a lot of stupid arguments uh, talking about, well, you know, the, the basically the playoff is doing the same job that the BCS did. It's just four teams. No, no, it's yeah. not. They were determined completely different. And not only that, the BCS was sometimes forced, sometimes corrupted into reinventing itself on an annual basis, reinventing its its protocol at least. Um, it was never sound. It often defied logic. It left. But at the same time, didn't we get the same four that we would have gotten with a, uh, a BCS formula? Like, I think this what, year, what? I think so. I was pretty well, sure. Yeah, but um, you don't know what the outcome is. I mean, mean, we're sitting here talking about like, I'm the most, the, I mean, the, the most interesting thing, I'm starting to come back around against the game that I'm covering. First off, you wouldn't get the amazing game that we're going to get in terms of weight and circumstance. And that's Ohio state and Clemson. Well, no, no, right? no, no, no. Sorry. No, I meant if we had a BCS ranking system to pick the top four, okay. um, Oh, I, I was I was pretty sure that we would have still gotten basically the same matchup. I don't remember for sure who would have been fourth, but um, are you using the while, last. While you the keep last talking, number? I'm going to try to look that up. Here. When you when you look that up, because I know that like the formula changed so often. They kind of settled in at the end. The last couple of years, they settled in on a more uh, on a something more stable and bad, but stable. I mean, but the I selection committee is dumb as hell. Yeah, no, I have no problem with that. We we traded one vice for another, but. It, just the pure concept of having four teams instead of two teams is better. That's math. I don't understand why we're still arguing about this. I, this, this comes from a certain pool of fans that are by stereotype sidewalk alumni of major power programs. Yeah. That's who's complaining. Because they feel like they should be getting a bye and then going into the national title game. I'm talking about you, Alex. This is where this is rooted. And then dumb, pretentious um, wanks like people from Michigan. That's that's the other issue. Not everyone from the, Michigan. Not the, for good, your donations. not the good right? Didn't, not yeah. the good people from Michigan. Not the cool Michigan people. You know who no, you are. I don't need to say who you are. You're cool. You know it. I know it. I think that's just, this is what we did. The same people, like, it'd be kind of funny to look back on, you know, the people, like, uh, that we're talking about now who say that the playoff is everything that's wrong with college football. Seven years ago, you were probably saying precisely that the BCS is everything that's wrong with college yeah. football because of money and commercialism and yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah, there's definitely two arguments here. One is that, you know, the increasing professionalism of a sport where people are making millions, but as soon as the – this is being I, this is being blended into with, like, Leonard Fournette not playing in a meaningless game against Louisville. This right. is, so it's all coming into one giant, like, tasteless wad of moral chewing gum, okay? And then on the other side, you just have people who are looking at the matchup, just pure college football fans who are debating logistics. Um, and and um, that, that latter debate, to me, is not a debate at all. We have four teams that are in national title contention right now, today, December 28th. We used to have two teams. Are you an idiot? One day we'll have eight. And so right now that means that Penn State and, and Wisconsin and USC and, I don't know, help me out, Bill, maybe Florida State, like they would, yeah. they would be alive for a national title right now. That's how math works, dummy. And again, there's a reason, like, there is a balance of the people who say that, you know, every game matters and, and you know, the regular season matters more in college football than in other sports. That, that is very, that is a very good thing. And TV ratings and attendance are already sliding a little bit. I think, um, I think I read that uh, with TV ratings. It, well, yeah, with both TV ratings and attendance. Yeah. And so, TV ratings are sliding in terms for bowls? No, just in j- overall. 
I thought that's what I, I know. I know attendance has slid a little bit, but I thought I, I was pretty sure that I saw the ratings were down too. Um, it's Not a kind ton, of, but a little. Kind of a nebulous thing there because the ESPN ABC is showing an uptick in certain demos and markets, and they're also showing a year-over-year dramatic increase in streaming. So well, ratings right. is ratings is now becoming kind of a dubious thing, but attendance to me is is hard to determine because the I, I I know people who determine attendance for like particular games and the numbers are all junk. Well, um, and I mean I think att- those attendance figures it also kind of at least is at least partially dependent on of the really really big programs how many of them suck right now. Yeah. Um, you know that obviously drags things down a little bit, but I mean, regardless. So I mean, let's 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 say it's a tenuous situation where you don't necessarily want to make a move to dilute the regular season and perhaps either drain attendance and ratings or drain them further, whatever we want to agree to there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I get it. And and if you get if you move to eight or twelve or sixteen or whatever, then suddenly you can say like, oh, that that Alabama USC game in week one didn't even matter a lick. Um, because USC got in anyway and, and all that you could, you can, there's a line there and, and I'm not, you know, we start to get really, really close to it at eight. And, and for that reason, I kind of like four. I've always kind of liked four. What I would about mind six? six, six would be okay. Um, but you know, regardless, at some point it does dilute. It's not like every, every bigger number is absolutely better because more teams are involved. That doesn't necessarily, no, but I don't think we've hit a saturation point either. Right. I, if, I I'll listen, I'll listen to a debate about six, eight. And to me, yeah. past eight, I think you do definitely. I think eight is the limit. Mm. But I think that we have to achieve, we have to arrive at this number where we figure out what the saturation point is, where the integrity of the season actually starts to to mm-hmm. deg- to, to to fall apart. And moving um, from two to four did not do it. Yeah, we have to do that absent of the influence of a bunch of old wankers in yellow sport coats that are representing tourism committees for Pasadena and Miami. We just have to. That's the problem. The problem is not the structure. The problem is who, what, it, what, what comprises the structure. Because I'm telling you right now, the playoff has been a success without, without question. And if you took these games, that, if you took the Fiesta and took the name off of it, and you took the Peach and took the name off of it, and the committees off of it, and the, sp- and the sponsors or sold sponsorship in a different way, no one would care. Yeah. And the Bulls are starting to understand that. So, Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. What are we going to do there? Got to figure so, that out. So, I mean, never mind what, what you're going to write about. I think you have a decent idea of, you know, <clears throat> what we've talked about on previous podcasts where it's either, you know, here's, here's Alabama's challenger or here's the new favorite. I mean, that, that yeah. makes plenty of sense. But in terms of, like, so uh, at the beginning of bowl season or right before the beginning of bowl season, I put out all the little advanced stat tail of the tape bits that you can find in each little story stream at SB Nation. Um, And it was just, just, it's like everything else I did came straight from a template. Uh, So you get all your five factors data and all your kind of breakdowns. The the two things that I added to these pieces that I really like, number one, it's just um, the five biggest advantages that each team has. That's just basically taking like 40 categories and looking at where your rankings differences are the biggest Uh, and then breaking it down into look when when Ohio State has the ball here's their standard downs breakdown versus Clemson's defense here's passing downs when Clemson had the ball it's Clemson you know back and forth and kind of showing where the advantages lie for each team I I like laying it out like that Um, one of the things I found very interesting about these both of these games and we'll talk about Fiesta first both of these games 
basically most of the advantages have to do with pass rush and passing downs. Um, or a lot of the advantages, I should say. Uh, like Clemson, their number one advantage is standard down sack rate on defense. Their number three advantage is sack rate, overall sack rate on defense. The next one is passing down sack rate. And, and on the other side of the ball, Washington's biggest advantage is on defense, standard down sack rate, their second biggest da- advantage, sack rate. Pa- Alabama, biggest advantage, passing down sack rate on defense. Like everybody, for, for all three, four of these teams – um, Clemson less so because Clemson actually doesn't get sacked that much and actually has a quarterback who's good on passing downs. They're the, um, he gets, he gets sacked less on, on passing downs than anybody in the country. The other three teams desperately have to stay on schedule. And that's like, that is the name of the game. And, um, for, for Ohio state Clemson, especially that creates a really interesting contrast. Like I think Ohio state is less likely to fall into passing downs, which is good for them. Uh, I think Clemson is more likely to fall into passing downs, but more likely to dig out of them too. Uh, so it's, I really, it's, I, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see like, is, is Ohio state is Mike Weber getting three yards or six is, you know, JT Barrett, how, how, how much time does he have or how quickly is he bailing from the pocket or whatever on second and eight or third and six, whenever he's trying to pass the ball, uh, how well is he, is he escaping the pocket when he gets rushed? Cause he will, cause Clemson has an amazing pass rush again. Um, but anyway, like just some really, really interesting little intricate matchups between three and four yards here and there, uh, that are going to decide these games. And I really, I've gone back and forth on Clemson, Ohio state a bunch. I think I'm sticking with Ohio state for now, but as soon as I, as soon as I land on that, I then look at what I, I wrote a couple days ago, looking at like, uh, who are the best teams in November specifically Clemson mm-hmm. was like third or fourth Ohio state wasn't in the top five Ohio state really st- probably should have lost, Two of those last, what, five games, I think. Um, Why is it that I feel better about Ohio State against Alabama than I do against Clemson? <laughs> well, I think it's because you have the memory of two years ago, of 86 yards through the heart of the South or whatever. But um, I, is it also that I have the memory of that Orange Bowl, too? Is it just, is it just, the rec- is it just recognizing past results? That, that's, a, that's what's in my head? Not numerically. I mean, possibly, and I mean, you start to realize, you start to think about Urban Meyer and, and how freaking good he is in these situations. I think he just schemes, I mean... It's hard not to get into generalities, but there is something. Although I will say, dramatically different Alabama, dramatically different yeah. Alabama, yeah, yeah. and what they're doing on offense. Yeah. Even though Lane was like, they were running an offense to Amari Cooper in that Sugar Bowl. Yeah, that wasn't gonna work. Um, but yeah, like Ohio State. As soon as I land on them, I, I look back at their little stat profile and look at those win expectancy figures that I post. Um, like based on the stats of a given game, based on the stats of a given game, uh, Wisconsin was 50, 50. They were 51% likely to win that game. Penn state, they were actually 64%. So those are basically just flipped, but then Northwestern 54%, Michigan state, 17%, Michigan, 17%. They should have probably lost two of those three to Northwestern, Michigan state and Michigan, or at least one. And they escaped them. And part of that is urban Meyer. He, he kind of overachieves his, uh, win expectancy every single damn year, but all of it, I mean, that, they really kind of developed some holes, especially on offense over the last uh, month or four or five weeks of the season. And I mean, Clemson for all their own, its own limitations, they can't run the ball very well, Mm -hmm. um, but they can sure stop you from running the ball well. And um, you know, on those passing down situations where Ohio state struggles, they're 38th in passing downs, S&P plus Clemson's defense is second in, in passing downs. So yeah, I'm really I'm really curious about this one. I, I've gone back and forth a lot. It's funny because you look at, so after the bye, Clemson, uh, that includes the loss to Pittsburgh. 
All right. So we'll get that out of the way. It does include their loss. But you have winning and winning on the road at Florida State, uh, completely handling Syracuse, and then 35-13 Wake Forest handled them, beat the crap out of South Carolina. Uh, those are bad teams, but that's different. Uh, tr- that's different compared to the Clemson of earlier in the season. I'm looking at you, Troy. Yeah. I'm looking at. Well, I mean, they pulled away from Georgia Tech, but I don't know. In the Auburn game, I think the context changed in the Auburn game because Auburn turned out to actually have a good defense. Um, Telling you, man, we got to go back when we're done and look at week one again. Week one one got eerie this year, whereas a lot of those games just become throwaways because they're propped up based based on off-season stuff to sell those neutral site game tickets. Like, between Clemson, Auburn, and Alabama, USC, you can learn some things in the course of a season there. Definitely. Notre um, Dame, Texas. Notre Dame, Texas. Well, I mean, a fan we, we learned We learned a lot of things. Inevitability. Uh, um, no, you know, and even the, the pit game, you know, the win expectancy for Clemson in that game was 78%. Like, they probably, that was the one time over the last uh, five games where their defense really was shaky. Virginia Tech, that was kind of a weird, they got ahead, um, they dominated the first and third quarter, took mm-hmm. their foot off the gas a little bit. Like, that was, I'll kind of forgive that that one was close, because they were almost certainly going to win that game no matter what. Um and Pitt, you know, turned out to be uh, – they still should have won. Their defense was t- wasn't was good enough, and it was at home. So that that's that's still bad. But they've been a far more stable team over the last five weeks, despite the fact that they have a, technically have a worse record than Ohio State over the last five weeks. I mean, we can sit here and – if I had to do the sports talk radio thing, I would just keep arriving at the fact that they're eerily similar in that they – um, experienced quarterback, um, skill position, concerns on defense at times, but yet uh, can can overplay and underplay relative to their opponent. See, I mean, that's kind of, it doesn't get more vague in general than that, but I, I mean, those are also, I feel confident in saying those things. Yeah. Um, I do think that, I mean, when you line up the losses, not that it matters, Penn State and Pittsburgh, um, Penn State looks a lot more understandable now. Um, but right. Pitt, Pitt technically beat Penn State too, so I mean, I know, I know, I know. It was early and all that, but yeah, I mean, I I, I think the bottom line here for me, I don't is need to kiss Tom Herman's ass anymore than I normally have to. Right. Um, but there's a weird vibe around some of the offensive decision making post Tom Herman at at Ohio, oh, at Ohio State. State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in specific games, they just it just doesn't work. Like, I mean, number one, any game against Michigan State, but um, the tighter yeah, they get, the right more conservative they've become. Well, and we talked about this earlier in the year, like an Urban Meyer team without expectations is the best team in college football. And they, you know, first, whatever, uh, five weeks of the season, 77, 10, 48, three, 45, against three, three teams that bowled among other things. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, just, uh, just an absolute murdering machine there. Uh, then the expectations ratcheted up a little bit. They barely beat Wisconsin. They lost to Penn State. They barely got past Northwestern. And it was like at that moment, the you know the expectations slid back down. Sixty-two yeah. three against Nebraska. Sixty-two three against Maryland. It really is like you can. It, it's, it's well, like you, I will it's say perfect. this: if you if you were to be offered uh, a result that gives you two out of three against like top top teams in close games where you're where you're matched evenly in a lot of like in in terms of talent. You're going to take that, right? Right. And you're also going to take you're going to take most of the circumstances, you know, on the road at Penn State, 
whether, you know, some, some intangible stuff there. So if I tell you, hey, your coach and your team is deep and experienced enough to beat, to go on the road and, and beat Wisconsin by seven, that result looks good. That, you know, that, that, that holds true. Uh, to, to go and beat uh, the best Michigan team in years in overtime at home, manage the entire insanity around that game. The problem is you went to Sparty and, and snuck it out. Yeah. You played Northwestern and you snuck it out. That's the right. Ohio State team I'm interested in. Right. And I mean, if we're just, if it is kind of a, there's a big game vibe here too. They played two top 10 teams. They won, they, they beat, they won at Oklahoma by 21 and then they beat Michigan as well. And, you know, maybe that's all we, you know, I think, I, I think I said this in the podcast where I was cheating on you. Um, I, I think this comes down to the fact that Dabo Swinney is absolutely like a top 10 coach or he and his staff are probably top five, but Saban, Peterson, Meyer are probably the top three. Yeah, I'm fine with that. And to, so, so to me, like, I, I feel like I'm almost like talking down about Swinney when he's, you know, gotten his team into the playoff two straight years. But I just trust Meyer more. On paper, I can make a very, very, very good case for, case for Clemson to win this game. But I think it just comes down to Meyer for me. So Ohio State's best win that came by more than a field goal or a touchdown is OU. OU, OU. And that's September 17th, an OU yeah. team that had, that had been gashed by Houston two weeks prior. That's still a good win. That's still a really good win. Oh, no, I'm not but saying it, it is. I'm saying uh, identity wise, it is the, it is week three. Right. Like it, it's a different Oklahoma. Um, and then after that, when they do look, they beat really good, really talented teams. They never kicked anybody's ass after that. Uh, Nebraska. See, I'm just not including Nebraska in that group. Well, they're t- well. They're, I mean, they're there's, top a, there's, there's a massive difference between look. They beat Nebraska and Maryland by the same score, and then there's a massive difference in that. But I just don't think Nebraska's that that class okay. level up. Well, I just if they you know it was they grinded past probably a Northwestern team that was worse than Nebraska, and then they killed Nebraska. They had their moments late. It was just they were less frequent and. I think one of the strengths of a Meyer team is that they are able to usually, not necessarily when Michigan State's involved, but they're usually able to grind away out um, when they're not playing that well. And that's what they did. They, I mean, they beat Michigan. They weren't even playing that well against Michigan, and they, they beat a really good Michigan team. So they are able to grind. They're able to lean on field position and defense and all these things. Clemson has two, obviously. But, yeah, like that. that's – I can you can talk yourself into and out of Ohio State based on those close games. I think so. The chess. So boiling it down into a, a lead graph because I am going to have to write something that is simultaneously like ten thousand feet. I'm going to have to do it right after a game. Essentially, as soon as that game ends, it's largely irrelevant. We think unless something incredibly weird happens, and then start talking about we think Alabama, and so there's a desire to write about. I'll be honest, like, websites like SB Nation would probably really need Ohio State and Alabama. Right. Because it's big, brandy, you know, like... Well, Alabama-Clemson, we could talk ourselves into that one, too. Well, I don't know. You have to check with Jason, because I know there's been... There was some debate last year about that brand, the Clemson brand not holding... Well, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about pure, pure hits, then yeah, yeah, yeah. But so we're, we're I was saying... With a lot of interesting stuff. So for for national appeal, I think Alabama Ohio State works North versus South. Um, you know, Titan head coach versus Titan head coach uh, rematch of that Sugar Bowl. It, and that, those Alabama Florida games. Yeah, totally works. Love it. 
in terms of the athletes on the field, I think I would rather see, I think I would most want to see a super experienced Deshaun Watson yep. uh, with a ton of weapons. And a point to prove, you know, after the And the benefit of last year, as well as we do know that when things happen bad for Alabama, it's going to happen with something that looks a lot like Clemson. And then on the other side, and I, like by saying this, I'm not discounting the athleticism of Ohio State, I promise. But then on the other side, the thing I'm probably most interested in is Brent Venables, some pass rush from hell, and I mean that in a good way, against freshman Jalen Hurts. Yep. I think that's the most interesting thing to me to see. Yeah, I mean, so basically, yeah, we're, we're looking at all these combinations. There's the brand home run of Alabama, Ohio State. There is the rematch and, and the like you're saying, the athleticism and everything of Alabama Clemson. Yeah. And then if Alabama loses, it doesn't matter who they play because you got it's going to be a week of, holy crap, Chris, Chris Peterson has topped himself, which is also, from a writer's standpoint, fun. It won't generate the same level that Ohio, Alabama, Ohio State. I mean, that's a damn nuclear bomb right there. But, oh, hey, um, I mean, Clemson, Clemson, Washington, I'm there, I'm, you know, with bells on, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, love it. But, yeah, a, a national appeal is not going to be there. I don't, I personally don't care about that kind of stuff. I mean, I'd watch, what was I cheering for last year? I think I was trying to, it was probably, it's probably buried in the, the podcast archives, but I think I was trying to find a way to get Sparty in the national title against somebody else. Um, <laughs> I think Sparty Stanford was what I was pulling for at one point. Um no, I would. Um, I think a Clemson Washington game would be nothing if not highly entertaining. But oh, yeah. I think that um, assuming assuming the Alabama, you know, uh, fate accompli, they roll tide. Um, I think Clemson is going to be a better game on the field, and I think Ohio State's going to be a better game in the newspapers. Right. So I, I think that's okay to say. So we win. The bottom line is here: we we win no matter what. That's what I, that's what I'm taking to. That's what I'm choosing to pull from this. I, I, I really, I mean, if, if you're an Ohio State fan, listen, I'm not trying to, to, like, sell your team's talent outright. I'm not. I just, I mean, Clemson's we're talking. Clemson's more fun. Clemson's more fun. Clemson's more fun. I mean, I think the benefit for who, uh, the challenger versus Alabama is that you have experienced quarterback play, right? Um, yeah. You have offenses that are able to not only be explosive, but are smart enough to have ball control and stay ahead of schedule. Right, all the things that I, in no way, here's what we're guaranteed: we're guaranteed a good national title game. I think you're guaranteed a national title game that comes down to ten or less points, regardless of any outcome. Because if Washington wins, I think they're equally matched against the other two teams. If Alabama wins, both of those teams that would be going against Alabama have the benefit of fresh experience and talent in places that you need to stay to stay on pace with Bama. Is that, that's all fair to say, right? So, I think so, yeah. Stop saying the BCS was better because this is awesome or I'll punch you in the face. And I'm tall, so I'm going to break your nose. Yeah, that's right. You're coming down at a, at a pretty tough angle there. Yeah, I learned that the hard way. Um, okay. So Peach Bowl, <laughs> just to, to cover some bases here too, even though we've managed to basically talk about one game in 40 minutes. Hard, hard um, stat I want to throw out real quick before you break okay. it down. Hard, detailed stat could be foreboding as hell. Uh, Shout out to my friend Michael Casagrande over at AL.com. He posted this this morning. Um, Alabama lost to Washington in both the go-kart competition and the bowling competition. So I don't want to hear anything about how you represent the South, Tide. Because if you lose to a bunch of weirdos from the Pacific Northwest in go-karts and bowling, what kind of redneck are you? 
But 90 years ago, okay, they put Washington in their fight song because they, they, they won the Rose Bowl for the South and therefore showed the South, you can play college football too. You can read more about that in the 50 best college football teams oh! coming out March 7th. March 7th, by the way, March 7th, March 7th, March 7th, there is a date. See, you get, no, you get, no, 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 you get, you, you get a little chippy with me about the show intro and the show outro, but I always plug the book and you didn't plug the book until now. Until now, about when you're normally introducing the show. Look, look, I mean, you don't have to run the scam here. You're the brains. I come in, I put a little sizzle on the steak. Just, you just see, this is why I do the, I do the front and the back. And then we just pick your brain for an hour and we get out of here. Um, Peach bowl. Peach Bowl. Wouldn't so, it be funny? Wouldn't it be funny if Washington, if you looked at this game and knew, let's just say hypothetically, you knew that Washington would be plus two in turnovers. What would you start? Th- how would you start thinking about this game differently if you knew that Washington would finish the game plus two? I mean, that might be all it takes. Um, it's going to be, yeah. Washington is basically about two breaks away. Let's put it that way. Um, I think the way I'm going to, I'm supposed to write about this game tomorrow. I haven't completely figured out the approach, but it might just be basically like warning signs of a Washington upset or something where, you know, yeah, Alabama's probably going to win the game. Uh, what is, what is the win probability here? 71%. They're projected to win by about 10. Um, that might not be as high as you think, uh, because among other things, uh, the last couple of games, ever since I wrote about Alabama, maybe being the best team since 1945 army, they kind of, um, <laughs> they slid just enough uh, to make that not the case anymore. But um, yeah, so I might set it up like that. And I think turnovers are going to be one thing. The other thing here is, uh, you know, in the little tail of the tape preview where I have the five big, biggest advantages for each team, nine of the 10 are defensive, like combined 10, nine of the 10 are, are defensive. And one is basically punting. So Washington's advantages are standard downs passing or sack rate on defense. All of these are defense. Standard down sack rate, passing down sack rate, adjusted sack rate, passing uh, overall pass defense, and pass explosiveness. So you can very quickly paint a picture of if Alabama has to pass, they're probably not going to break any big plays, and Jalen Hurts is probably going to get pressured a lot. And that, well, among other things, that sounds like a plus two turnover advantage, really. Um, so, like, you can very easily kind of see what might happen if Alabama can't run the ball extraordinarily well. Now, now Alabama's really good at running the ball, so maybe they, they can do that. But I think that's, that's the major thing here is, is Alabama's offense is fourth in rushing S&P Plus. Washington's defense is seventh in S&P Plus. If Alabama is only getting, like, two, three yards at a time and Jalen Hurts and the third and sixes or whatever are starting to add up, mm-hmm. that – that's that's step one towards a Washington upset. Again, Alabama's probably going to win, but that's if we start seeing that early, that could carry throughout the game. Scrolling through his game logs this year, who hurts? Uh huh. Yeah, he's gotten a lot better. Uh, well, uh, you know, a lot of these sack rates and whatnot—they're basically because early on it was a big problem. Now it's just like a moderate problem. So let's look at just just his responsibilities in terms of, and I don't have everything. I don't have his third third down specific. I, I'd like to actually look at his third down logs, but so turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, a pair against USC, a pair against Western Kentucky. I believe both of those came um, after the inevitable had occurred. A pair. Against, was, those were fumbles, right? He had one pick, but it, it, it was. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, wrong stat line. Sorry, wrong stat line. Sorry. Okay, uh, one against USC. 
He's clean until... Okay, yeah, interceptions. Yeah, yeah, sorry, Mm -hmm. interceptions. He's clean until Arkansas. He has a pair against A&M. I don't even remember that. And then he has a pair in the Iron Bowl. That's incredibly low. He's had two two interception games as a freshman. Yeah. As a freshman. This is just like a note. This is just a note I want to slide across the table to Washington. So if you get him in third and five plus... Can you maybe find some cutouts or some film of him where someone had success and at least momentarily confusing him? Yeah, the A and M game especially, I think was was pretty indicative of that. I'm looking at the little box scores here. Like for for Auburn, uh, he uh, in the passing game he was otherwise great. Like he was 27 for 36 on on standard downs. He was 17 for 21 with a pick. Passing downs he was eight for 12 for 108 yards and a pick. Like other than the pick, he was almost perfect. A and M though. It didn't matter because they were running the ball so well on AM. But um, on standard downs against AM, he was 10 for 13, but for only 72 yards, he got sacked twice and threw a pick. Passing downs, he was only 5 for 12 uh, for, 40, for 92 yards, a sack and a pick. So he averaged not even 5.5 yards per pass attempt if you include sacks uh, against AM. Now, AM has a very good pass defense, but, so, but Washington, you know, what eighth in passing S and P plus Washington is mm-hmm. probably the most well-rounded team overall besides Alabama. So, I mean, if a and M could do that, technically Washington could kind of swallow up the Alabama run or passing game and force them to run the ball. Well, and they might run the ball. Well, it might not matter because they might run the ball. Well, but um, it might come to that. They might have to be able to lean on the run uh, without a guarantee that they'll do it. Now the other side here is the Washington has to score. Um, which, you know, this is easily the best defensive front they've seen uh, other than USC. It's much better than USC's, and USC's completely ate Washington's lunch up front. So it really, I mean, you will probably, maybe not only would you need, a, like, a plus two turnovers, you need those turnovers to set up easy points. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, the, the first step here is, is forcing Hurts to pass and then shutting down the pass. The second step will be figuring out how to move the ball at least on two or three drives. Maybe that's how you have to look at it if you're Washington. We need to be, we need a turnover or two to set up easy points, and we need to put together basically two or three really nice drives to go with the three and outs, to go with the other stuff that Alabama is going to do to us. We need to figure out a string of happy plays two or three times uh, to have a chance in this game. I guess I should do the same thing here for Jake Brown. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 42 touchdowns, seven interceptions, by the way. Yeah, pretty salty. Pretty absurd. Absurd. And no one wants to hear this right now as I do this, but I still can. I still maintain that you're just never going to acknowledge a quarterback at Washington the same way that you would someone just one-time zonies. Uh, okay. Mark, Mark Brunel made a, a hell of a living in the pros. Well, yeah, but uh, that's because pro scouts are paid <laughs> to do that. Um, all right. So my man, Jake Browning. Uh, multiple interception games came USC and Arizona State. USC, of absolutely no surprise there, and then uh, against Arizona State. If he turns the ball over once in the first or second quarter, that may be enough <laughs> right. for them to – because at that point, you're going to start running the ball like, like, I, like you can at Alabama, and then right. I feel like – you're going to end up. I'll put it this way: if he throws one pick in the first quarter, let's say the first twenty minutes of game time, he'll throw two more in the game because they'll <laughs> okay. because they'll be pressing so hard to come back. Okay, I see that. 
So I looked up here the little the advanced box scores for I think I think Washington by my quick glance has faced four teams that ranked in the uh, defensive top twenty for S and P plus. Um, oh no, wait, Utah wasn't in the top twenty. I got to get rid of that one. So Stanford, okay, uh, USC, and Colorado. I'll get rid of Utah. Utah wasn't a very impressive. Well, actually, it was kind of a, an explosive but weird game. But anyway, so had a decent three, game against and, Stanford. Oh, he was great against Stanford. Yeah, um, and again, none of these, these are top 20 defenses. None of these are Alabama's defense, obviously. Right, right. But uh, the key to beating Stanford, I think, um, you know, he, he threw 14 passes before the game went into garbage time. Uh, only two of those were on passing downs. Um, because Washington, like Gaskin and Coleman went 29 carries for 174. Uh, they were just, they were not facing passing downs. They were almost perfect uh, in the, in the first, well, all game really, but especially the first half when it comes to just efficiency and staying ahead of the chains and everything, they're not going to be that efficient, but that was one of the, uh, they, they killed Stanford in part because Browning didn't even have to face a passing downs. He was two, he was two for two for 54 yards on passing downs. And that was it uh, against USC. First of all, I mean, they were like batting down every damn pass he threw. On standard downs, Browning was 7 for 19 for 92 yards, a pick, and two sacks. Uh, he benefited from a bomb on passing downs, but so he, he ended up looking okay on those downs. Uh, but it didn't matter because like standard downs and passing downs, he threw 19 t- uh, passes, or tw- he attempted 21 on standard downs to 18 on passing downs. That's a terrible ratio that they cannot survive with. Um Against Colorado, that he also couldn't pass. I mean, he averaged four yards per pass attempt. He was nine for twenty-four, but it was fourteen to nine at least. A little better in the standard downs to passing downs ratio. Plus, that game was really weird, and they got up early and all that, so it didn't even really matter. And again, they were able to run the ball. Gaskin and Coleman had forty-seven for two sixty. I think the bottom line here is that they're not going to be able to. Gaskin and Coleman are not going to have forty-seven for two sixty against Alabama. It's going to come. Their their standard downs execution has to be awesome, and it has to balance run and pass. They've got they're gonna have to find some things that they probably won't find. Uh, they could find it, but they might not. Um, because like when something goes wrong for Washington, you know it, it's it's that the passing they have to pass the ball on passing downs, and Browning can't do it. Um, and, and you know maybe that's the line not protecting him well enough. Whatever it is, he's not there yet. That's this is why he's not a Heisman contender yet. Hey Bill, uh, he has not made huge big plays. Yes. Hey Bill, how many passing downs were they in against uh, Stanford? Two. Uh, Alabama. Well, to pa- he, he passed on passing downs twice. Alabama's allowing sixty three rushing yards a game. Yeah. Yeah, Alabama uh, in the old defensive rushing S and P plus number one. They've number allowed one in success three, rate. By the way, they three <laughs> rushing touchdowns this year. Yeah, and and it's and it's all around. Like they'll occasionally give up a reasonably big run, but they're they're second in opportunity rate, which is percentage of uh, five yard carries or more. They're twelfth in in short yardage. They're eighth in stuff rate, which is getting guys into the backfield to stop guys at or behind the line. Uh, you know, if you're really good at one of those things, it'll translate into a, a good run defense. They are, they are uh, without weakness in the run game. And that's so I was talking about, you know, are, you know, is is Weber or whatever for Ohio State? Is he getting three or five yards for Washington? It's really are they getting two or three? Also, uh, really, are they are they getting three or are they losing one? Uh, interesting stat here. If I'm reading this right from I'm using CFB right now. Um, attempts per game. Thirty one point one five. Against Alabama. Yeah. No one's running the ball against them because they don't have time to. 
Well, and they just they, they know it's not going to work. Yeah, no, that's um, uh, that's third in the nation behind only Wisconsin and Kansas State, by the way. And Army. yeah, and, and, and like on the Army. on the defensive footprint, like the, the on on, a, on standard downs, opponents are passing fifty eight percent of the time, which is eighty fourth. It's below average. They're they're choosing to pass more than run, and that's I mean that's playing a lot of teams that can't really pass, um, or or that really would prefer to be running the ball, uh, but they still think they need to pass to win. And then on passing downs. Uh, yeah, they face the fourth most passes. Nobody even tries to run them, run on them on passing downs. You know, the the, the draw play downs. Nobody's even attempting that because uh, it just doesn't work. So, um, yeah, good, good luck. This is why I mean, this is why Alabama's Alabama. Like, first step is figuring out how to really frustrate Alabama's offense. The, then it's like that that little cartoon. You know, da da da. A miracle occurs, and poof, you win the game because you just can't. You, move you, the ball. Okay, so that's a good point though. On like a draw play down. So we're talking third and what seven plus? Yeah, something like that. Okay, right. Well, passing downs are third and five or more, second and eight or more. Okay, so third and five or more, but let's just say like third and six. Um, okay. No one's trying to do it. Obviously, they're seeing something on film that's preventing them from doing so. Right. I'm curious from a, and, and we won't find out often because Wisconsin, or Wisconsin, Washington stays very very tight with their media access. This isn't a place I would embed anytime soon, but yeah. I'm curious. Do you try it then because no one else has? Or are you seeing the same thing on film that's prevented everyone from not doing it in the first place? Right. I don't think this is a, hey, why hasn't anybody tried this? I think it's, a, it's just a, hey, there's absolutely no room to run. It's a precedent uh, so that's been established. Right. Like that's I think right. you're seeing on film the reason why everybody else is choosing not to do it. And especially when you don't even, um, when you don't have a quarterback. Let's see. Browning, Jake Browning all year has carried the ball 37 times in uh, 13 games. Like we, we, maybe, maybe that, you know, maybe that would work twice, like a little draw play with, with Browning or something like that, but it would work mm, once or twice. Him, and they're going to, he's going to get murdered. Right. I don't know. I'm talking about yeah. zone reads. I'm just yeah, like just a third and seven, a uh, little uh, old delayed style draw up the middle. Might work once, might work twice. Will not work three times. Oh, shimmy leg so, boot. Yeah. I like it. But yeah, I mean, I think this is about sequences. I think it's about uh, watching and finding, two or three or four sequences of plays that gets them downfield and puts them in scoring position. If they can do that, it might not matter because they might not be stopping Alabama enough, but that, that's they have to do that. And, you know, may, that, you know, this is Peterson. He's had a month to draw up a very specific trick play that is guaranteed to work. So that's, that's one, <laughs> but you still have to, you have to do it a few more times. And then that's where you have to make them turn the ball over. There's just, I mean, it's boring and cliche, but you have to make them turn the ball over. Or, or get your return game going. Um, I mean, just something that flips the field. Something that requires you to go very short distances to score points. Um, At the very least, if we're, if we're not just going as simple as, and somewhat reductive as turnover battle, you have to get them in third and sixth plus. Yeah. Which, oh, yeah. Which goes back to the whole run game thing. Because then you could also have Dante Pettis and punt returns. I mean, I like their secondary. I like the idea of selling oh, yeah. out. Oh, yeah. I like the idea of selling out to get to get you know, um, let's call it second and intimidating, and mm-hmm. sure. putting the DBs out there to do some interesting stuff. I mean, Bama's not. Yeah, I, I'm fine with that. That's how best I'm probably going to scheme them. But I, say, I, I don't think we're arriving. Any, this is not an aha genius moment. I don't think this is something right. like. I mean, I don't think Auburn had the horses to do it. I'm thinking of get team, teams they played recently. Um, hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, I just saw news as we were doing this that Randy Edsel may go back to UConn. Yes, yes, he might. Jesus, Mary Joseph. 
Yeah, because the, the, the encore always works as well. Um, no, I will say this is a good thing. This might be a good time to have Dante Pettis as your punt returner because he is amazingly all or nothing. He has two uh, touchdowns this year. He's also fumbled twice, and Washington's only 100th in punt return success rate. So it's really it's, it's 40 yards or it's, or it's minus one. Uh, that's, I think, what you need here. You need some volatility here, and, and you hope that he breaks one of those. Um, and because it, yeah, it's about getting those short fields. You got to have a couple short field scores to keep up. Gonna be interesting, Bill. Um, I, I guarantee I'll throw out in no way, shape, or form will this be a repeat of last year's cotton. Um, I, I don't, I think it's just good, I, dumb southern media to try and compare those two games, but it's been <laughs> happening. Um, I was at the Big Ten championship game and uh, quarterback Connor Cook, um, his shoulder was all effed up. Uh, in that game, in fact, it was they were having issues on that like eighty play drive or whatever against Iowa to win that game. Right. They came in overmatched in terms of talent in most position battles, and also very banged up. And it was just a a workmanlike uh, team that just ran out of energy, now, not effort. It, if there's a turnover early, like if it's like ten nothing Alabama after one, then absolutely it could get. Oh out. no no no! I ain't taking ass whooping off the table. Yeah, right. But it's not nearly as likely. Yeah, I know. I, I'm. I. I don't want to. Let me keep my ass whooping card, but I just don't <laughs> think if, if it happens, it won't be in the in the manner in which they did it against Michigan State, which was one of the ugliest games I've ever seen, and just boring and inevitable because. Saban is never, ever going to play a card higher than he needs to. And right. once they got out there and realized that they were winning trench matchups and just being able to yeah, execute very, very simple sequences to whip the crap out of them, that's all they did for the rest of that game. Yeah, I think I actually turned that game off at one point, a playoff game. I hope you, I hope you didn't because you missed the stiff arm of all stiff arms later in the game. Well, that's what SB Nation's for. Okay. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Bill, how much I time we got? Like I saw. I can pretend like I saw that North uh, the North Texas vomit um, live. Saw that live while I was filling sure, out yeah. an expense report. <laughs> well, we got to talk about the Knolls. We are oh, almost God. to an hour, and we have not talked about go. the Knolls because right. we are terrible at this. All right. So first things first. First things first. Uh, best uh, best non playoff game. Yeah, I mean, this and, and USC Penn State, we got a couple of really good uh, – Oklahoma and Auburn, we'll ignore. But we got basically out of the, the, the big bowls, we got some really good ones. This one is – I do think when you look at, like, Dalvin Cook for the last time and Jabril Peppers for the last time, like, there's, there's playoff-level talent on the, on the field. So I am looking forward to this one. And I was thrilled to see that it was Friday night. I did not realize it was Friday night until the bowl schedule came out and I was, like, setting up my picks. I'm like, wait, that's not on the 31st? Um, or the second or whatever, it's by itself on a Friday night. That's, that's beautiful. It's pretty cool. So we get to watch this and treat it like a playoff game. Um, so since we, I, since we are uh, in our Noel segment here, I will break down really quickly the same way I broke down the, the playoff games. Biggest advantages for Michigan according to pure stat rankings. Uh, four of them are on defense. Uh, well, actually three. Okay, well, the, the top two are sack rates. Uh, Michigan is very good at sacking the quarterback, and Florida State is really, really bad at protecting DeAndre Francois. Um, really bad at it, and he really does try to stick around and make a play, and that doesn't always work. Uh, the, and their third advantage is also sack rate, overall sack rate. So Michigan's – if Dalvin Cook is 
not succeeding at a very high level and, Mich- and Florida State has to throw the ball, Francois is going to get rocked again. We've seen this year that that might not matter. Francois will just get right back up and he might still make plays, but that's going to be tough. The other part, tough part for Florida State is that the, the fourth and fifth biggest advantages for Michigan are field position on offense and field position on defense. They are uh, brilliant at playing the field position game. And uh, so Francois is going to be facing long fields. And if he's on second and third and long, that's a problem. Uh, other side of the ball, all defensive advantages for Florida State, too. Um, passing down sack rate, staying down sack rate. There's like a trend here uh, among all the big games, which I find very funny. Uh, sack rate is three of them, and then big plays on the ground. Florida State does not allow very many, and Michigan certainly doesn't generate very many. Um, so, I mean, a lot of, a lot of back and forth here that I, that I really like. the advantage seems to overall go to Michigan, but Florida state was a better team in November, uh, and closed the gap. And so it does, you know, we'll see, we'll see what Michigan has to offer at quarterback. Um, we'll see what they're, what kind of big plays they're able to, to generate if any, uh, but yeah, really, this is going to feel like a playoff caliber talent level game. And, uh, I'm excited. Um, they're going to lose this game. I think Florida State is. Um, okay. Because of, I think they are not going to be able to keep Francois um, clean, and I don't think he's going to have time. Uh, they are going to be 9-4. and four. They didn't even finish second in their division, and everything is fine. <laughs> I was about to say, where are you going with this, man? This is supposed to be a, a Florida State segment. No, this is, this, is the, this is the paradox. This is the paradox of the Knowles. Um, there are some SEC programs looking at you, Auburn. Hey, Auburn, you listening? Um, that if they finish nine and three, are simultaneously elated and apoplectic um, because of the weird situation going on in state that they have. You know, the gold standard across the state, and which just just sort of has broken their brain and the brain of any other program in the SEC, for that matter. Florida State sits by itself, essentially an SEC program with Clemson. Two states to the north. Um, the reason why they're, they're they're different on I don't want to get into all that. They are different. They are SEC programs in the ACC, for all intents and purposes. Um, Florida State is going to feel like this year was a failure. It was not. They're putting together a dynamite recruiting class. Their head coach has turned down yet another overture yeah. from LSU. Um, this time for good, most likely. Um, and what that says to me is that he feels like the apparatus is fine. The apparatus is successful, and they are going to be fine, if not better, as their as their skill tree of players improves around Francois going into the next two to three years. This is a team you automatically slot into a national title conversation in 2017, and that's why you stay at Florida State. That's why you. That's why in recruiting, they're number one in the state right now. They're number one in in the number one or number two, maybe number three in a, in a weird year state for recruiting. Everything is okay, and you're probably going to lose this game. <clears throat> well, I, I mean, I'm less sure than I would. Like, if they played in early October, I think I think they would have gotten smoked, but uh, I'm less sure now. I think they've got a decent chance here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Florida State fans have kind of come around, too, because of the way the season finished. You know, they survive NC State, but then they, they, they rock Boston College and Syracuse like you're supposed to. They rock Florida, which always feels good. Um I think from just the general sentiment that I've been able to discern from Florida State fans, this is this was not good enough, but it was. But they're feeling okay, um, and even just like kind of looking at you know early in the year, you know, talking to our our coworker Bud Elliott, 
um, you got the impression that that Jimbo and FSU weren't really on the same page, and that if you know if Jimbo were to get overtures from LSU, then FSU might not stop him, so to speak. Uh, that ended. Uh, that ended midseason, and um, really, I think starting with the narrow loss to Clemson, they've they've really been a strong team, and um, and then you know obviously you lose Cook, you just got a commitment from the be- the best high school running back in the country, Francois. You got back. Um, You've got your your most prolific receivers coming back. Uh, I assume Tra- – well, I don't – I guess technically I don't know that Travis Rudolph is coming back, but he's only a junior. Uh, but Autumn Tate uh, has, has looked good at times. You've got talent. You've got plenty of talent, and the defense is going to be very senior heavy unless you lose just a ton of players to the draft. And then you'll get back some of your injured stars. It does kind of look like they're going to be just fine. And I will say, too, last thing about Florida State for this year – uh, beginning of the season, they were projected top 10 team and they were projected to only win eight and a half games because their schedule was really hard. Uh, yeah, it, it's funny you bring that up. They're nine and three. All right, I'm glad you brought up schedule. So uh, we like beat the, we beat the word narrative to death all the time in like the media and Twitter and all that. And the whole concept of narrative where that whole that thing started was political campaigns. It was like how to manipulate the news lead and, and how you were being talked about. And I think FSU and FSU Twitter kind of failed at that because they have yet to embrace the fact that the ACC is changing for and the good. better. Yeah. It, it, yeah, they're good. They don't seem to really address this and prop it back up the way they should, especially in the face of, like I talked about earlier, they are an SEC team in the ACC. So they end up talking more smack or – addressing more uh, beat writers or more talk radio shows with SEC people. And that's that it's a miracle field goal loss against North Carolina. Um, it's a four-point win at NC State. I'm not even going to include Clemson in this because Clemson is just a good football. They're just a good national title caliber yeah. team that is from your conference. Um, yeah, it's a 17-6 to wake, probably not for this conversation. But 20-19 to at Miami is. This is a better conference. They need to start talking about that. Right. They yeah. need to and it is for the ACC base. In Yeah, the ACC in general is kind of like Big Ten. Big Ten will tell you straight up, like uh, Michigan, uh, Ohio State, and Penn State are all awesome. We're the best conference in college football. Uh, you're not, but the ACC probably is, and you're, you're right. Every single time Florida State doesn't beat an ACC opponent by 30, they get apoplectic. And they suddenly decide that their fans get to jump on them about playing a weak schedule. By the way, your non-conference this year was Ole Miss uh, and USF. Yeah. That's a good non-conference schedule. Yeah. You're doing everything right. Oh, and by the way, Florida, of course. So, Well, of course, yes. I mean, you're scheduling aggressively in a conference that's improving year over year. That's one thing I would keep in mind. If you're going to be mad about either, what did I say, 9-4 and four or 10-3, and three, depending on the outcome of this bowl game. Right, right. This isn't a 9-3 and three ACC record from four years ago. It's not. It's something very different. And since we're and focusing twenty years, I think a lot of FSU fans are stuck in twenty years ago. It's definitely not the ACC of twenty yes, years. Yes, it's funny because I think generation there's a weird generational thing going on. Oh, by the way, they start the season next year with the pad. I forgot about that. Um, I was looking ahead. They have two throwaway games: uh, ULM and Delaware State. Wow, Oof. Delaware State. Oof. Delaware State. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah, Missouri beat them by like 80 this year, uh, playing 10-minute ten ten uh, quarters in the second half. But, yeah, so you get to Tide. Actually, you know what? I may watch that. I may do like an SB Nation thing and watch. We should go to Pensacola, Florida, even though the game's in Atlanta. 
I made like live, we were like live Facebook or something, Instagram or whatever. <laughs> Sounding old as I finish the sentence, but uh-huh. that's the battle for Pensacola, September second, two thousand seventeen. Okay. Um. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, so, so bottom line here, they are fine. I did want to. Um, I did think of last night when I realized we were going to be talking about the Knowles. I, I had a little. A, this is another book plug, but B, it's a question at the end that I have for you. So it's not just good a, lord. It's just, Bill. it's not just a hoary uh, uh, statement I'm about to make here. It's got a. It's got a conversational aspect as we pass seventy minutes. So I'll have to hurry up. So, um, for most of the big name programs in college football, I did manage to include one at least one of the their teams in the book. Um, you know, Alabama gets a couple, Notre Dame gets a couple. This was about interesting teams. The best has a big asterisk on it. It's not actually about a, a top 50 list. Uh, Florida State got in there, but I got weird with Florida State. I put the 1981 Florida State team in there. Um, if you look up Why? Uh, 1981 Florida State, uh, that was a, a, a team that went, I believe, I wrote about them, so I hope I got this right. I believe they went... Uh, Six and yeah, six and five. Good. I was gonna get it right before I looked it up. Um, six and five. It was Bobby Bowden's only non-bowl team between 1979 and his retirement. So why did they make the book? Uh, you first, first things first. Uh, look at their schedule. They were just coming off of a couple really nice uh, games, but they lost a ton, or really nice seasons. They went 11 and one in 79, uh, 10 and two in 80. Top six both years, lost the Orange Bowl to, I believe, Oklahoma both years, but they lost a ton of their starters. And they headed into 81 knowing they weren't going to be quite as good. They were having to replace a lot of guys. Like, what's his name? Greg Bell, I believe, was a freshman. They didn't even know what they had in him yet. Um, but their schedule. Reynolds, he was on that team. Uh, Rick Stockstill, quarterback Rick Stockstill was on that team. God, was he really? Yeah. Um, so. Their schedule in 1981, it starts relatively normal, home games against Louisville and Memphis, uh, that they really struggled by, p- to get by. They, they, they beat Louisville 17 nothing, and they beat Memphis 10-5. to They finished the year in kind of normal Southern Independent, uh, in a normal Southern Independent way, too. They got Western Carolina, then they went Miami, Southern Miss, and at Florida. All of that's normal. In between, uh, from week three to week seven, at Nebraska, at Ohio State, at mm-hmm. Notre Dame, at number three Pitt, at LSU. Wow. This was this this was a situation where I don't know if you can pull this off today. Uh, well, unless you're kind of a rising power, this was a, this was a theoretical season. This was basically a we'll play anyone at any time. Oh crap, that's not what I really intended for this schedule. But okay, screw it. We'll we'll take it on. We got a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. We'll take on this schedule. Um, and 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 looking down the line, this was really you know. Your, your national television uh, opportunities in 1981 were pretty minimal. That This was before uh, Board of Regents for, uh, of the state of Oklahoma versus the NCAA, the Supreme Court case and all that, where suddenly they, they won it and suddenly there were 100 games a year on ESPN. <clears throat> this was, they got these opportunities and they took them. And they actually, I mean, they got thumped by Nebraska, but then they beat uh Ohio State, 36-27, jumped out to a big league, started to give it up, and then and then closed it out. They beat Notre Dame. This was a pretty bad Notre Dame team, but it was still winning at Notre Dame. And when you're Florida State and you haven't really done much in your life as a football program, uh, like before 1979, they'd finished ranked once. 
Um, they, they that was still a very big deal. They go to Pitt. They play Dan Marino and Pitt get their doors blown off, forty-two to fourteen. But then they respond by going down to LSU. Not a very good LSU team, but it's still Baton Rouge. Uh, they won thirty-eight to fourteen. <clears throat> so they finished this this five-game stretch from hell, three and two. They were five and two overall um, until they lost to Pitt. They were suddenly kind of national title contenders. And then they completely and totally run out of steam in a very visual way. So they, they, they handled Western Carolina fine, but they gave up 31 points. It was a game well into the second half. They won 56-31. Uh, they played number 13 Miami, also building a program uh, by, with some guy named Schnellenberger. They're, it was number 14, uh, hosting number 13. They lost 27-19. Uh, and then also on national television, number 14 Southern Miss comes to town, comes to Tallahassee, and beats them 58-14. to That'll happen. Um, yeah. And then they put, they go to Gainesville and they lose 35, three to Florida. Like they, the, the wheels came just flying off in every direction down the stretch. But years later, you don't remember that. You just remember that they went three and two against big name teams. Uh, they started recruiting a little better. They were still kind of, it was still like a kind of a slow burn here, but they, so they go six and five, then they go nine and three, win seven, eight, nine games for a few years. But those recruits uh, who signed in 82 um, were kind of the last, that, that was the last stretch where they didn't have uh, elite level talent because starting in, in 87, of course, they finished second, third, third, fourth, fourth, second, first, fourth, fourth, third, third, first, fifth, uh, still the most ridiculous sustained stretch of great football that has ever existed in college football. Like not even Bear Bryant did that, did that. Um, not Nick Saban hasn't done that yet anyway. Um, and we'll see if he's around long enough to pull it off, but oh, it was God, really, Bill, now someone's going to try and murder you. <laughs> but in the early eighties, they were basically trying to establish a reputation, say theoretically we could become a big time program one day and we're going to do it by, even though we're an independent, even though uh, we don't have a name, we're going to make our, we're going to make a name. And meanwhile, Miami's down there, uh, you know, signing every player in the state of Miami, and uh, they get kind of a few years head start on, on uh, Florida State in terms of winning at an elite level, but then they lose a coach, and they lose another coach, and they have all the other problems. Bowden, meanwhile, just goes out and finishes in the top five every single damn year for 15 so, years. So what you're saying, Bill, is that the Knowles yes. were the first Boise State. <laughs> God! Now somebody's got to kill you. Gotta um, go! So my question as we, as we approach 80 minutes on this now, so I, I really, I was, I'm going to give away my answer first, and therefore I'm going to steal the easy answer. But I was really, really hoping that Houston would make the Big 12 simply so to see if we could, see if it was possible for, for, for Tom Herman and, and Houston, Tom Herman making like $12 million a year at that point. If Tom Herman could turn it into a state of Houston situation and, just, and, and, and really create a national power where one previously didn't exist. If it's not Houston, though, is there a school, and, and I mean, we, I, I think we've kind of beaten around this a few times before, but is there a school that, that could become a national power, that is, that is sitting in a, recruit, a, a nice recruiting area that has potential upward mobility that could, you know, do, whatever the 2016 version of doing what Florida State did, is there a team that could pull that off that, that isn't already? Do they have to be P5, G5? Does it matter? Well, I mean, technically they could be G5, but you, I mean, we're talking about becoming a national power and that'd be really hard, but technically, yeah, you could, you could still include a G5 here. So sleeping giant. Yeah, basically like a, 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 a potentially massive giant. Hmm. 
I really, like I said, Houston, I was really curious if Houston could pull that off, but now we won't find out. Um, I still think that the West is where you look for this answer. Okay. Um, and if you don't look at who they are in terms of behavior, decision-making, right. you just look at a blueprint, mm-hmm. UCLA. Okay. Um, I'm not even super jazzed up about that answer. Uh, <laughs> the Texas A&M doesn't fall into this category because I think right. they're, they're too they're, they're they're too good or they've been good. Their floor is too high. Right. UCLA almost doesn't qualify, but yeah, you're right. Like they haven't. They don't they're have close. some massive history. They, they, yeah, they don't have some massive history of of top five or ten finishes by any. I mean, okay, so I, look I, at. Look at Washington, but Washington's won a national title, so I don't think that works. Um, But I do look at Washington as a program that is going to be perennial top 15 if the center holds. And, I I mean, I I think it will. Peterson Peterson turned down so many jobs. People forget that. He went there because it was exactly what he wanted in a long-term commitment. Um, I think you have to say, uh, I think you have to bend this definition to where it includes UCLA. Um, you know, they have one top 10 finish in 18 years. They had a nice, they had a nice run under Terry Donahue. Obviously they had two awesome seasons and a bunch of crap under Bob Toledo. Um, but overall they're still, uh, they're, they're not uh, one of the most celebrated programs. And yeah, I think you have to go there because otherwise I don't think anybody qualifies. Uh, the only two answers I can give, I can't even name a program, but I think where the potential for this lies is, Somewhere else in the ACC because of what we just talked about, yeah. um, and then somewhere if if the division structure holds in the Big Ten, someone has the ability to become dominant in the West. It's so an, it's an unwritten book over there in terms of. I mean, Wisconsin could, Wisconsin could get there. Which well, if we really start at where, part part of Florida State's thing was just being able to suddenly, uh, you know. Being able to cultivate a bunch of relationships and dominate in their backyard recruiting wise, but also like the, the stuff that I love about covering the sport is all the non. I've learned this over the years. Like I'm, I am weakest at the football part of college football, and I'm okay <laughs> with that. I really am. I'm okay with that. That's why I surround myself with people like you and Bud and all the smart football folks. Like that's fine. <clears throat> what you have to look at with Florida State is the rate of growth. Just go to a tax assessor's office. Somewhere in Florida, yeah, and or, or go to go to the capital and capital in Tallahassee. Go to capital in Tallahassee and just look at the economic history and look and lay that down side by side with what went on at Florida State yeah. because that's your answer, and that's why you have to look. You have to look at culture and community and economics, population demographics, you know, jobs. Okay, Florida State, and we can wrap this up because i got to go. Florida State just got a commitment uh, last night from Cam Akers. Yeah. It's like yeah. a top – I don't know if he's like the top recruit in the country. I don't, I don't know. That's Bud. Top running back at least, yeah. Clinton, Mississippi, which is a yeah. exurb of Jackson. <clears throat> it's the same old story. It came down to Florida State and Ole Miss. LSU was interested. Tennessee was interested. I don't think Mississippi State was ever into it. It, can't, it comes down to the same old story. They're able to pull not only the, the, the depth of talent that has migrated to Florida over the past generation and a half, 
but also from all the other surrounding areas. I mean, there's there's no reason in terms of need that Florida State has to go out and get the best player in a place like Mississippi, or go out and right. beat somebody for a player for a player in Arkansas, or a player in West Tennessee and Memphis, um, you know, places that have less economic and population foot uh, strength than than the state of Florida, but they do, um, and so that's why I look at UCLA and I look I look I look to the West, as Zeppelin would say, and um, I don't, that seems to be the answer. Maybe the Pacific Northwest. That's why I like Washington, even though I don't think they're a fit for the for the rules of this question. Um, but then, so, so maybe I pull Wisconsin off there, or, or, or the Big Ten West, because that's a circumstantial right. success. Right, 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 yeah. And in the minute they realign that, that, that conference, and I do think they will one day, it doesn't work anymore. So maybe that doesn't work. I think yeah. If you're if you're using proximity to a ton of recruits as part of your baseline, then I think it has to be California to whatever degree. Because among other things, like you can look at if you look at like right. Okay, so there are six in, in the state of North Carolina this year. There are six four star kids according to the two four seven composite, and a whole bunch of high threes. Uh, you know, a bunch of talent that you can build around. The problem is, like it's the South is too is too crowded. Like North Carolina, um, you know, look at the top. Let's see, where does where does it cut off? So mid to high threes, you get the zero point eight five rating in in North Carolina. You have a ton. You have like over thirty kids at that level. Uh, at the point eight eight level, you've got nine kids. Uh, North Carolina is doing really well. They have four commits from those nine uh, guys going to Clemson, guys going to South Carolina, guys going to Florida, guys going to Virginia Tech. I don't think you can reel in that talent in your backyard to the to the point where North Carolina would suddenly have top five or, or so level talent. Mm-hmm. You could make the case that Mississippi, one of the Mississippi schools, but oh my God, everybody recruits Mississippi. Um, tons of schools recruit California, obviously, but I do think, I, I think I kind of feel like it's less crowded there than it would be uh, in the South anywhere. And then, you know, other well, than that, Texas is the only area that has the, that level of talent. I think there's a potential, if you were to draw a, a border of all the circ- all the stuff that we would need for this to happen, like an uptick in growth, population, uh, you know, uh, the talent, then how to develop it, having the schools there ready to develop it, having a coach, having elite coaches that would go to this area. So let's do this. <clears throat> let's take let's take Appalachia on the west side. All right, let's go down to Atlanta and stop at about Gainesville. Gainesville, Georgia is like probably the, one of the most northernmost like Atlanta burbs. Yeah. Even hard to call it a burb. <laughs> then let's cut the state of Georgia, so let's go southeast to the water. All right, stay with me. I'm trying to draw basically like a parallelogram, I think it's called. Um, and then go up the coast all the way up to like Ocean City, Maryland, and then stop <clears throat> maybe around like Western Maryland, and then go back okay. down Appalachia. So like a, a little quadrant. I don't know what the hell. A rectangle. God. Um, somewhere in there lies this potential. Now, in this square tangle thing that I just made lies Clemson. Yeah. Who benefits, who benefits from like three or four different amazing things, which is being a power program inside its own state in South Carolina, being ridiculously close to the city of Atlanta, being ridiculously close to the city of Charlotte. Yeah. And then also having an alumni base that that's saturated in SEC markets, which helps in recruiting. So maybe Clemson's already the answer there, but they won a national title as well. Yeah, that's that's true. So let's all right. So let's just put Clemson on the side, and I think somewhere in there lies this potential. 
And then, of course, there's the other fact, especially in the South, the whole usurpers idea that we talk about a lot. Ole, Ole Miss actually kind I, of... I just don't... Yeah, like, I, that that I would vehemently disagree with you on. That, that, that what? That we would rebel against usurpers and take them down with, uh, the, with NCAA sanctions? That you could never develop a Florida State run out of a usurper in the South. Oh, well, no, I just, I mean, that, that's another obstacle, though, is that we've you seen have it to happen. Burn down like, Rome. If, you, if you got, if you, if you sign too good a recruiting class and you're not, and you're not a team that's supposed to do that, um, they will come, they will come to get you and they'll probably find something because that's, yeah, yeah, no, 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 that's what I'm saying. You'd have to burn down Rome. You'd have to reestablish, you'd have to create a new order there. That's why that you, no, and I don't mean to, to be that dramatic. I'm serious. Like you can't, you cannot have a South Carolina, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, like that will never happen. Not consistently, because they will destroy you. Um, so, last point on this, uh, and then we can go. Um, there are currently 35 four-star kids in the state of California. Currently, UCLA yeah. has commits from two of them, and Washington has commits from three of them. Yeah, so, so there you go. maybe UCLA so is Pacific Northwest. A UCLA with a completely different athletic department and a, and a, a head coach that isn't a... a, a a grumpy job hopper. <laughs> All right. That was a lot, Bill. Um, so you can follow Bill uh, at SBN underscore Bill C. You can follow me, uh, the Twitters, the Instagrams, the what have yous, uh, at 38Godfrey. I'm still going to find a home on Instagram for all my super cool collection of credentials. I don't care what anybody says. That's good. <laughs> that's good that's, right. that's a perfect content. use of Instagram right there. Um, I will be back with Bill, uh, I think probably this same time next week. I will be back, and we'll be talking about a national title playoff, a national title uh, matchup, and I think maybe the waning days of the Bulls. And, uh, yeah, this thing's going to ride itself for a little while. Then we get to the offseason, and the real fun starts. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Go Knowles. That's what I'll say this one time.